morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Tuesday, May the 31st. And here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. The Chadian government says clashes last week between gold miners in the country's north left more than 100 people dead. The clashes took place May 23rd and 24th in the Kauri Bagodi district near the border with Libya. The area is home to many unregulated mines where people go to search for gold. That is Mohammed Yusuf reporting. And as the world marks No Tobacco Day today, Tuesday, studies show that over 8 million people each year die due to tobacco-related illnesses. So your blood vessels start to constrict and your blood pressure starts to go up. It's a silent killer because it is marketed as if it's a good thing. So the advertisements have stopped. And some African countries with elephant populations say they want to lift an international ban on ivory trading and culling elephant herds. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story this morning, the Chadian government says that clashes last week between gold miners in the country's north left more than 100 people dead. Mohamed Yusuf reports from VOA's African News Center in Nairobi, Kenya. The clashes took place May 23rd and 24th in the Kauri Bagodi district near the border with Libya. The area is home to many unregulated mines where people go to search for gold. Chad's Minister of Defence said Monday that according to a government fact-finding mission, more than 100 people were killed and 40 others injured in the fighting. Minister Dawood Yaya Ibrahim said the fighting broke out at night in the mining sites but did not identify the cause of the violence. Chad's communication minister said last week that the clashes were between Arabs who crossed the border from Libya and the Tama community who hail from eastern Chad. Chadian authorities have suspended informal mining operations in Kauri, Bagodi, and evacuated people from the area. There was no indication that terrorists or criminal groups played a role in the violence. Chad is involved in a fight against terrorism and rebel groups who threaten to topple the interim government, led by the son of late President Idris Deby. Mohammed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Suspected Islamist militants killed 15 civilians in an attack on a village in Northeast Democratic Republic of Congo. That is according to local officials and the head of the local human rights organization, Renzori Sector Civil Society Group. They say that the attackers killed 15 people and set fire to six vehicles. Officials say that fighters believed to be members of the Allied Democratic Forces, ADF, stormed the village of Bulongo in North Kivu province after dark on Sunday, pillaging homes and murdering inhabitants. And as the world marks No Tobacco Day today, Tuesday, over 8 million people each year die due to tobacco-related illnesses. In Africa, however... The number is relatively low as the prevalence rate of smoking in Africa is only 14%. Moreno Jambo has more on this story. Under the theme Protect the Environment, this year's World No Tobacco Day is highlighting the damage caused by tobacco products among them environmental pollution and harm to people's health, according to a Lancet survey. 
Today, the prevalence rate of tobacco smoking in Africa is only 14%. This is low compared to regions like North America and the Eastern Mediterranean that have a tobacco prevalence rate of over 20%. Dorcas Kiptui is the head of the Tobacco Control Unit in the Ministry of Health Department of Non-Communicable Diseases. She says Kenya has managed to keep the number of tobacco users low by stopping public advertisement of the products. But on average, it has been shown that it takes 20, up to 20 to 25 years to get severe forms of diseases like uh, non-communicable diseases and also the, to affect the reproductive organs, the skin, the eyes, everything else. But also there is immediate effect. Immediately also it is transmitted throughout your body in the blood. So your blood vessels start to constrict and your blood pressure starts to go up. It's a silent killer because it is marketed as if it's a good thing. So the advertisements have stopped. From 2012 to 2018, the area under tobacco cultivation decreased globally by nearly 16%, but in Africa, it increased by 3.4%. East Africa alone accounts for 90.4% of tobacco leaf production in Africa. Kiptui says most tobacco companies have moved to having non-smoking tobacco products that are more dangerous than cigarettes. Tobacco products have a lot of chemicals, like a cigarette has over 7,000 chemicals in it. About 70 of them are cancer-causing agents. And so now the tobacco industry is coming up with novel products that are trying to subvert the law. Products that are not combustible so that you cannot smoke it because they are not smoked like the pouch. So they're delivering nicotine through a pouch to target the youth because since we put the Tobacco Control Act in place, many people now don't know even know brands of cigarettes. Africa's top five tobacco growing countries are Zimbabwe at 26%, Zambia at 16%, Tanzania at 14%, as Malawi and Mozambique account for 13%. Kenya's Tobacco Control Board is calling on Kenyans to work towards eradicating the use of tobacco products, which significantly destroy millions of lives and families. Board's chairperson Nancy Gashoka said that tough actions should be taken to rescue the current generation. Our work is to regulate and control its demand and also supply. And that's why Kenya is a signatory of Framework Convention for Tobacco Control. And so this law is international and it's also local. And that's why you cannot also smoke in public places. Six percent of tobacco smokers in Kenya use outlawed tobacco products. Kenyan law prohibits their sale through vending machines as well as the sale of single cigarettes and those in small packets and the water pipe tobacco popularly known as shisha. Tobacco destroys the environment, further harming human health through the cultivation, production, distribution, consumption and waste globally. Around 3.5 million hectares of land are destroyed for tobacco growing each year. This contributes to deforestation, especially in the developing world. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Giambo in Sacramento, California. Daybreak Africa continues in Malawi. Atupele Muluzi, son of Bakili Muluzi, the first democratically elected president of the country, has announced that he has stepped down from politics. Until his resignation, Atupele Muluzi was the leader of the opposition United Democratic Front, UDF, a party his father formed and led to win the presidential election in May 1994. In a letter to the UDF, Atupele Muluzi says he plans to focus on business as he steps away from active politics. Muluzi was also a presidential candidate in the last election and has also served as a cabinet minister and parliamentarian. 
He handed over the leadership of the party to a vice president of the party, Lilian Estela Patel, in accordance with the group's constitution. Now, some analysts say the resignation is the last straw that showed a planned political dynasty his father orchestrated to dominate the southern African country appeared not to have worked. For the latest developments, VOS Peter Clotty reached George Philly. He's a former lecturer at the University of Livingstonia in Malawi. As for me, it is a very good development, particularly for the United Democratic Front, the UDF. Uh, the party, all over the period, it has been led by Mluz, the father to Atupele, and then uh, Atupele himself. And the many Malawians were thinking that the leadership of the party uh, and the party itself belongs to a family. And uh, this made many people not to be part of the UDF. And uh, the resignation of uh, Atpere Mluzi from the UDF, uh, many Malawians uh, I have talked to, they expressed their interest even in joining the party because uh, uh, the party now will have to elect leadership democratically. Are you therefore saying that because of Atupele Mulusi's resignation, the party can be stronger in the near future because it will be attractive to yes. other people to join? Yes, it will be stronger because now people will see that it is really a democratic party that many people can join regardless of where they come from, regardless of their family background and so forth, because it will now be a party that will be led by independently and democratically elected leadership, which will have no attachments with the um, the family of Mluzi. And this will become the third party in Malawi. We'll have the Malawi Congress Party, which does not have any attachment with the founder, then UTM uh, and, and UDF. So these three parties are the parties that have no attachment with the founding leaders. George, would you say that this is an attempted political dynasty gone wrong or that did not go according to the plan espoused by the first democratically elected president, Bakili Mulusi? Uh, very true and absolutely, because what, what I see now is uh, a dynamic uh, democratic front but coming out uh, of the Mulusi's family house. So now it becomes a party for everyone. And this is what can attract many people now to join it. Secondly, because currently we do not have the strong opposition party, um, then this one will become an option for people uh, to join a strong opposition party. And I believe that even the the lady who has been, I mean, who has taken after Tupere Mluzi's position, uh, Honorable um, Patel, this lady, I think uh, she, she, she can uh, rebrand the party well. I, I believe that uh, she will reorganize the party and uh, attract as many 
people, uh, particularly the dynamic uh, youth or young men. That was George Philly, a former lecturer at the University of Livingstonia in Malawi. He was speaking to VOA's Peter Cloti. And still in Malawi, a group of young artists in the southern city of Zomba are putting together different skills and resources to curb unemployment and lack of capital to start personal businesses. This initiative, which opened last September, now serves as a beacon of hope to many up-and-coming artists in this southern African country, as Lamek Masina reports from Zomba. Malawi has recently seen street protests pushing President Lazarus Chagwera to address unemployment in the country. The protesters reminded President Chagwera about his campaign promise that his administration would create one million jobs once voted into power. To address these concerns, the group is running a creative group known as the Tribe Hub that serves as an incubator for creative and entrepreneurial ventures for up-and-coming artists in Malawi. The Tribe Hub opened last September and has now banned a multi-purpose recording studio, a performance stage, and a carpentry workshop. Tawanda Mpando is the manager for the group. Aside from the fact that we wanted to employ ourselves uh, and create jobs, but it also just stems from the point that uh, as an artist, if you don't realize that you should employ yourself, you should work on your craft yourself and find a way to add value to it, then you're not going to gain anything from it. Some artists of the 21-member group are graduates from the University of Malawi with skills in graphic designs, drawing, illustrations, photography, videography, music production, web development, tailoring, and woodwork. So far, the hub has hosted over four events where various artists exhibited their artworks, such as paintings and drawings. It has also helped music artists like Benny Rwanja Jr. improve their skills. I recorded my first song in 2015, but I didn't have time to explore. This time, I can sit down with my fellow creatives, work on a track. How about this? They tell me the directions. We help each other a lot. Before the hub, I couldn't get that. The hub is now working to organize a festival where young and upcoming artists can showcase their talents. Alfred Kambangkatsanja is the art director at the Tribal Hub. Uh, most of the times, uh, right here in Malawi, there's a problem of up-and-coming artists. We, we are not really given um, a platform whereby we can really showcase our arts. Uh, most of the times, people expect you to be known already for you to be called somewhere to perform. Vitumbiko Liwomba is a media marketing concepts and a creative director. She says despite a success story, there are challenges. The major challenge we have is being underestimated. Um, as a young person in Malawi, you are always underestimated to the things that you can actually achieve. Yeah, so when we approach people and they see us as young people, they really rarely ever take us seriously, even though what we're trying to achieve is something important. However, Wamba says this hasn't affected their initiative in any way. They say now plans are underway to establish similar hubs in various parts of the country for the benefit of more up-and-coming artists in the country. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Zomba, Malawi. 
Some African countries with elephant populations say they want to lift an international ban on ivory trading and culling elephant herds. Representatives meeting in Zimbabwe ahead of the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species later this year say that elephant overpopulation is harming communities and vegetation. Columbus Mavunga has more from outside Huange, Zimbabwe's largest national park. 14 African countries say they want communities with elephant populations to benefit from them. As a result, they issued a communique Thursday after a four-day conference asking for a ban to be lifted on ivory trading and elephant killing. The group plans to take that message to Panama in November for the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species, or CITES, an agreement among governments to ensure that wild animal and plant species are protected. Here is Mobizita Mangalison Lovu, Zimbabwe's wildlife minister. Mainly uh, to say as African states, we hold uh, the significant population of our elephants. It is therefore important that um, the ideas, the proposals that we are proffering at CITES need to be taken seriously. Key among them, issues of our wildlife products. We are currently spending a lot of money taking custody of our ivory. Which ivory we are restricted from trading? We want to believe that this is one of the key outcomes that we are anticipating to come from CITES, that we can be allowed to plow back into conservation uh, wildlife products. Zimbabwe says its national parks are home to nearly 100,000 elephants, double the number parks can comfortably accommodate. Government officials say, as a result, the animals are moving out of the parks and destroying local crops. Stembiso Mampo Fusibandam is a 59-year-old Zimbabwean widow living just outside Wange National Park. She says the elephants are bothering locals and invading their fields and homes, and that locals can no longer farm their fields. Farmers are asking for authorities, she says, to build a fence to keep elephants out. Some African countries, such as South Africa, which is home to 45,000 elephants, oppose lifting the ban. Officials there say South Africa uses birth control to manage the elephant population and fences on national park boundaries. Sam Ferreira is a large mammals ecologist at South Africa National Parks. One of the difficulties is people tend to think that the the African manager of wildlife has got only one solution. In fact, they don't. They go through some very serious thinking about, about what can I do before they get to the really hard, difficult ones that now I have to permanently remove an animal. The European Union opposes lifting the ban on elephant ivory trading and questions the data Zimbabwe used to estimate of its elephant population. Timo Okenen the European Union ambassador to Zimbabwe. I think, uh, you know, my understanding is that there's information required about carrying capacities and, and so forth. So I think it's, uh, um, I think there's probably work to be done. Zimbabwe accuses the European Union and other Western countries of influencing CITES to keep the ban on trading ivory, which was implemented to protect 
dwindling numbers of elephant species from poachers on the continent. The ban has encouraged the growth of elephant populations, but it is also causing problems for people like Sibanda. Columbus Mavungam for VOA News, Wange, Zimbabwe. In Lagos, Nigeria's commercial city, journalists and media practitioners concluded a month of activities around press freedom. In our next story, Samuel Okocha spoke to some of them on their assessment of press freedom in Nigeria. Press freedom means not being worried about my safety, to be confident enough to talk, say the truth without watching my back. Esther Kalu is one of several Nigerian journalists that has just finished a month-long program of activities around press freedom in Lagos. But how free is the press in Nigeria? Or better still, how is Nigeria faring when it comes to press freedom? If you walk in a media house where your boss gets messages from security agencies just because of the kind of news you you tell because of the kind of stories you share it's you're not free yet the 2021 world press freedom index ranks nigeria at 120 out of 180 countries with journalists facing harassment arrests and prosecution when reporting on corruption and terrorism Okbae Zera heads the news department at a radio station in Lagos and he echoes the sentiments of the World Press Freedom Index on Nigeria. We also see government in this part of the world making laws that directly impede the operation of the press to the extent that it limits the absolute enjoyment of the press freedom. For instance, the work that the NBC does is a limitation in the, on press freedom. So with that, and you can see the NBC has been coming out even much more forcefully recently to try to suppress, clamp down on the expression or enjoyment of the press freedom. So with that alone, of course, I mean, there's no other way to say it. the press in Nigeria is not free. Okma is also among dozens of journalists that have just finished a month-long activities around press freedom hosted by the U.S. consulate in Lagos. You know, journalism is a really important job uh, in Nigeria, and we really salute the hard work under very challenging circumstances that many journalists uh, face in Nigeria. And this is the reason why we're so excited to have them today to celebrate their profession. Stephen Ibel is the public affairs officer at the U.S. Consulate General in Lagos. As Nigeria gets ready for elections early next year, Stephen Ibele says the U.S. Consulate is working with Nigerian journalists in the area of capacity building. It's up to the Nigerians to decide who they want uh, to lead them, lead their country in the future. But what the United States helps and what we work on is that accountability, that free and credible, uh, violence-free elections. And that's why we do the training, just to, to see how that process unfolds, uh, to be able to, to tell the world how credible and how free the Nigerian elections are. And as politicians prepare to present themselves to voters in the elections scheduled for early next year, press freedom will have another test as journalists get to work. This is Samuel Okocha for VOA News in Lagos, Nigeria. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We well, thank you for spending this morning with us.
For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on all social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vongani in Washington wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. On the next Straight Talk Africa, persistent drought and overwhelming floods are wreaking havoc across the world, including the African continent, threatening not only livelihoods, but the very fabric of society. How can African countries best deal with this radically changing reality? That's Straight Talk Africa, this Wednesday at 18.30 UTC. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Encounter. On our periodic U.S. politics update, we examine the key issues dominating the political landscape. Veteran analysts John Fortier and Jim Kessler spar over the results of Democratic and Republican primaries in Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. They discuss what, if anything, Congress may do to pass gun safety legislation in response to recent mass shootings. That's Encounter.